Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. I'm James McSorley and just before this episode I asked my wife if she had any funny ideas to intro the podcast. She said no. Mark, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good, thanks man. I can verify that did happen. It's a great week to be a Bench Units diehard. Do you know why? Um... I would argue that anyone who's that into this, I don't think they exist. And also, I don't think your life's going that well if you're super into what we're doing. But why? Well, it's not, but it's all relative. And yeah, because after, the NBA playoffs have started and the German finals are on. Neither of those things, arguably more important than both. And it's because after an entire season of never knowing and waiting and wondering, we have confirmation that we will be seeing Serbia guest Burgos back in the Division de Honor next year. Oh yeah, shout out Burgos, shout out Helen Freeman, um, yeah, and everyone else who's there. But as people may know, I'm still on the bandwagon, despite the bandwagon having been off down the side roads for a little while now. Yeah, the bandwagon having gone backwards. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, that'll be interesting next year. I can't wait to see what team you think they're better than this time um, five months. But I don't know. Probably not Madiba. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. We'll see. Because they have like we shall see. a team that I would say would probably finish like third from, but like they'd be safe from relegation in the Spanish League this year. I would mm, think. Yeah, but- I mean- Maybe, maybe this is the the beginning of uh, Burgos get bumped up and start flinging the money around, and we'll be doing this from September, where you'll be joining me from Burgos. Uh, 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 I think they're good. Helen Freeman plays as a two five. I think they're good for two pointers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. What was I going to say? Um, yeah, no. I think that. Well, obviously, like they were able to get someone like Filipski to come a couple of years ago, and then Kim as well. Uh, so if they can bring someone like that in, that'll be interesting. Who else is... Oh, and it's the bottom of our league plays second in the playoffs in yeah, first division, so. right? Something I, very I think, weird. I think Barcelona came second, maybe. I I didn't really follow, if I'm honest. I'll, I'll get to not really knowing those teams about this time next year. Sounds excellent. All right, cool. Shall we talk about games that we did care about? I really hope this first link isn't one of the few games I didn't get to. That would be <laughs> really funny, very embarrassing, and I, I, I don't think that's the case. But but yeah, Amiab 103, Grand Canaria 59. So I went from, I'm interested in watching this, to this isn't that exciting, to, oh my god, they're going to get 100, I'm back in, really quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I don't know, I've spoke to everyone who were like, yeah, it was 33-16 first quarter, and I turned it off, and I was like, yeah. And then they were on 53 at the half, and I went, ooh, okay, maybe. But we're in business. Yeah, this was, I mean, this is really relatively uncharacteristic of these I don't think there's any question that Amiab were the better of these two teams but if you were to ask me who Amiab were putting 103 on I would have said maybe like Ferrol and Joventut and then Vigo if they really took it to them Um, No yeah I, I Gran Canaria have 
been better than this all season. Maybe there's a little bit of nothing to play for. A lot of it was this was the this was the trophy day. Like this was this was the parade. Yeah. Um and yeah. whoever was also, there, they were gonna score, but I don't know. Yeah, this was also um Albazetti only had one total point less than if you'd have doubled up the number of points they scored against Malaga in their only loss of the season. You love um, bringing that up, but it is such an, an anomaly that it is a great comparison point. Yeah. But um, um I think the headline for Amiab here is Lee and Filipski having a combined 59 points on 28 of 34 shooting. Um and when I was going to say your whole team shooting seventy three percent. When you read the when you read those two stat lines off, it's not massively surprising that Amiab shot seventy three percent as a team. Um, yeah, they and, had they had four players that shot seventy percent or above, and not on like one shot. Forty assists on forty nine made shots. I feel like we can just read random stats off. <laughs> um, yeah, no, a game like this for one hundred and three. 60 odd 59 there's no yeah there's no point going through any deep analysis um amiab really 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 had it today they're obviously amazing anyway and grand canaria didn't and uh, obviously he's a tough place to get to from grand canaria there's like <laughs> that might be one of the things but not no. not only did not only did grand canaria not have it um alexi ramone after having been the spanish league's top scorer for the majority of at least the second half of the season was held to four points total, and yeah. he actually lost out on the scoring title for the league on just oh the last. Oh my god! Day. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Who was it in the end? Was it Rob? Uh, Augustine. Augustine Alonso, which we'll get to. Yeah, um, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, on the Gran Canaria side, Driss Said, who's had a relatively um quiet season kind of minutes and scoring wise, maybe compared to what I expected when they signed him up. Yeah. Um, he had 22 in the first of spoiler alert for the rest of the episode. We saw a couple of, a uh, of, Hey, you might want to keep me around next season games um, in the last, or game. a couple of shop window games, depending yeah. on what everyone <laughs> wants to do. I don't, this is without any inside information, obviously. I don't know any of these people, but it's like, this has been good, man. I like, there have been a couple of times in Grand Canaria games that I've been like, he's not scored well or he's not played as well as like I thought he would or could. And maybe it's system based. Maybe it's it just happens. But like he was really good there. He was really good in Belgium, I thought, for the Italian national team. Um, he's obviously a good basketball player. So I'm like, yeah, I, I think 10 from 13. I think you see it with him coming to Grand Canaria. I think you realize juxtaposing it with when he was with Italy last week and obviously previous seasons, I think you see the difference in his game when he's playing off of giant bigs rather than medium-sized guys. Yeah. Um, and he just had had a hot shooting game this weekend, so shout out to him. But Grand Canaria, five guys in double figures. Uh, sorry, Albacete, five guys in double figures. Filipski, 31. Lee, 28. Phil, Alejandro, and Ben with 14 apiece. Uh, Phil with 14 assists as well. And yeah, this was just a a comprehensive cherry on the on the Sunday from Amiab in this one. There's not really much more to it than that. No, absolutely not. Should we shift on? Yeah, go ahead. Let's do it. Okay, so Uka Mercia 
Juventus. Yeah. Speaking of comprehensive. Yeah, so I was um uh yeah, I, I went went to bed a little late on Saturday, woke up a little late on Sunday, had things to do, so I kinda had to pick and choose which games I was going to condense my watching of. Um saw that Mercier came out pressing Jove into it and I was like, oh cool, I can just not bother with this one then. Uh and did you stick around to see twenty six three to end the first quarter? Pardon? Did you stick around to see that it was twenty six three to end the first quarter? Yes. I watched a quarter and I was like, cool, yeah, we're done here. Yeah. That's the point at which I call it a day on this one as well. <laughs> yeah. And then it got progressively more even points wise, but you can kind of see in the quarter by quarter score, it was a 26 3, then it was a one point win, 15 14, because they relaxed. Then they came out third quarter and were like, right, let's not do this. Blew them out 19 5. And then the fourth quarter was a one point win as well, 12 11, which is just funny to be like, we're going to crush these guys to. No, we can't just do this for 40 minutes. It's not worth it. And it's hard to concentrate for that long when you're smashing someone and then having a reset and being like, right, come on, let's let's start the quarter strong, smash them again, and then take the foot off once again, rotating at that point, obviously. But um, yeah, once again, Lee Fryer is great, has been great for at least this year, if not slightly longer, but more recently he's been unbelievable. But yeah, they, they don't have... I don't know. They didn't have any problem because Juventus have no answers for pretty much any of the guys in Mercia that would do you any trouble. <laughs> like that's entirely it. And from the Juventus side, um, we just touched on at the start of the episode. We're not sure how the ups and downs work going into next season. Couldn't tell you off the top of my head if um this is going to be the last time we have to cover Juventus on this podcast for a while, but. I don't think I'll be greatly upsetting anybody if I say I genuinely hope that is the case. Um, oh my god, that is really upsetting. That's a horrible thing to say. They're a tough watch, man. I feel. Yeah, but got... I like. I don't. I don't know if the bottom team in the league is the move. Like, I. I don't know if that's just what happens. Oh, to be fair, like we've spoken about it. Like, I'd much rather watch Burgos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, from the Juventus side, 12 points for Alvin Bernal, 10 points for Jose Mora, and then six for the guy Fabian Castilla. And yeah, this was just, um, Mercier obviously went into this game tied with Gran Canaria in the standings for the fifth spot. Um, I think anyone could have predicted that Mercier would probably come away from this weekend clutching onto fifth on their own because they had a considerably easier matchup than Gran Canaria did, as we've just chronicled. Yeah, but yeah, Mercia gone all the way up from scraping into eighth place last year to having a you know a standalone spot in fifth and realistically only being a couple of games outside of top four, which is no small feat when you consider they only moved up into the Division de Honor last season. So just gotta hope the the arrow keeps pointing up from them, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's testament to a team coming up and being sort of financially backed and well run because we've seen poorly run but financially backed and we've seen well run but poorly financially backed and neither of them work. Like you need <laughs> you need a few quid and you also need to put it in the right places. You've seen teams kind of go up and down and up and down. Um 
and have guys not stick around, but they've kind of built solidly over the last couple of years and gotten better each time. And it's yeah, good to see. Uh, Just for the sake of stability of wheelchair basketball teams and players, I think I'm coming at it from a it's good to see that like people can probably depend on having a job there for the for a couple of years, which is nice. Rather than if you're in a team that comes up and they go, All right, we'll pay you X amount to come here. And then nine month time you're packing a suitcase again. That's not it's no life for people. So it's no, cool. To, you said say all that. Mercy are gonna have I don't know how I'm lined up for, but given the kind of second half of this season and some of the international um stuff we have seen recently and we'll see Mercy are gonna have a job fighting off the competition for lease services, I feel like. So I mean, fingers crossed for them that they can hold on to him because I think this team's pretty well put together. But if they are gonna hold on to him, it won't be because there weren't any offers coming in for him. Let's put it that way. Yeah, like I think he seems happy there, obviously. Like I it's cool to see a team trust him and kind of hand the keys over a, a little bit. And it's cool to see that he's thriving in that situation. Cause especially like a couple of years ago, I'm not sure that would have been the case. I think he's kind of matured a little bit and he's unbelievable at what he does. So it's it's cool to see. Um yeah. yeah. You anything on Jovan Toot before we move on? Nope. Cool. Speaking of teams that suck. Hey. <laughs> 84, Ferrol 51. Now I point that out because obviously Illunion suck. That I was just going to say that is a hilarious like accident, accidental transition there. Speaking of teams that, oh yeah, second best team in the best league <laughs> world. Yeah, cool. Champions Cup Final Four. Yeah, I I imagine you mean Ferrol. Yes, I do. Although I think um, that's something we should work into the rundowns as we get into them again next season is we should do uh speaking of transitions without actually knowing what link we're clicking on next i think that would be yeah no i did what i had one of those earlier in the season didn't i where i was like speaking of something and i said something horrible and <laughs> as a joke and then it actually linked to the team that i was talking about i don't remember what it was but like i think i, I accident i think i accidentally made reference to mediba owing people money or something <laughs> but well, that that's allegedly that's no, not alleged it's real but um that's the safe bet because you brought that up in every episode now and <laughs> you you even got one in here just to be safe i think i stopped doing that at one point and then i spoke to someone i was like hey i stopped because i don't know if it's fine again and i was informed that it still isn't and i was like oh cool let's get them <laughs> but anyway uh big thing here no greg for a union so they started um hasso terry Bill, Tom, uh, Sarah, I think, if I'm not mistaken. That um, absolutely doesn't look like they should be able to play that lineup. It's no. just completely indecent. Um, yeah, this was... When you phrase it like that, no, Greg, so they ran those five guys, that really doesn't feel like Farrell have been let off the hook in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you being like, "Oh, I've heard this guy might not be here." Happy day. Well, I don't think for all do that. Like, I think Union could probably leave four or five people at home and yeah, figure it out. But yeah, yeah. not a whole lot to talk about here. Illunion uh, shooting over fifty percent across the board. Everyone getting going. Everyone joining in. Um, four guys at double figures. Four starters at double figures. Hasso getting to the basket whenever he wanted. Terry with 20. Oh, Hasso with 28, sorry. 
Terry with 20, Bill 14, Tom O'Neill 10, Sarah Huelta 2, 1 from 1, and uh, Paco Giles 6, Danny Sticks with 4. Other side of the ball, Mark. Anything interesting? No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> so I got Guy Anderson Silva with 18, Lorenzo Embo 16, 11 for Adrian Ranieles and a couple of chip-ins here and there. But yeah, I mean, the the only interesting thing you could pull out of this is neither, sorry, none of the quarters of this game looked wildly one-sided, where I think Illunion have kind of made their habit of letting teams hang around for a quarter or two and then having like a 35-6 quarter coming out of the half. And the, the game is no longer in question at that point. And this was a 33-point win that they just kind of chipped away, yeah. winning by winning by four in the first quarter and then progressively by eight, nine, and 12 as we went along. And yeah, they just... I think maybe that's a symptom of them not having their pressing lineup as they typically would. They can't just be like, hey, we'll just crank the defense up and hope it leads to transition, but their half-court offense seemed to comfort them just fine on that front, and yeah. Illuni on 47 total rebounds to 27 for, for all. Wow. <laughs> it, that's a, a decent sign that you're keeping control of the pace, even if you're not able to press. Yeah. Being like, it's alright, we'll get up the floor, we will get layups, and it's fine if we miss them, because we've got three big, big guys. Well, Terry's not massive, but we've got two giants, and one and a half other bigs on the floor will be fine. Tom as one of the best rebounding wings in the whole game as well. Um, yeah, for sure. My only other thing with Illunion is we they're obviously without Greg for whatever reason this week. We've had a couple of Amadoulas games from them recently. Um, I don't know what's going on there or if Amadou has just spared the journey up to... No, no. It, it's, not, it's not that. Right, okay. Um... Yeah, obviously they're going to need him. And we got Champs Cup coming up. Um, I don't think yeah. he'll be back in time for that. But uh, yeah, they, but they've had they've kind of missed him for more than half the season at this point, and they've they're, they're lucky they've got other threes and size across the board. Because I think if you were really missing that, like if like without Hasso, Bill being a giant, but who is sort of a little bit more perimeter, high post oriented a lot of the time, if you were missing that source of size on like going towards the basket you'd be in a lot of trouble but at least they have that in Hasso. yeah i dare say they'll be fine but yeah uh should we move on let's do it cool uh next one i was here so i'll take this one um did i act bilbao 86 um leganes 53 uh yeah we came out first quarter was 21 12 i think seven minutes in we were like 16 three or something like something that made you think all right cool we're in control and then we do that thing that we have a habit of doing where we take our foot off the gas we lose the second quarter 22 14 um just from rotating and i think we wanted to go to euro league lineups for two weeks time obviously but they're a good enough team that we didn't really get a chance to do that stuff but yeah, got it done in the end. Obviously, we blew them out last quarter, twenty six eight, which makes it look a little worse than it probably was. But big yeah. news on the other side of the ball is Kano was back. Good to see him back playing, back in the league. Um, and yeah, not a whole lot going on. It was 
it felt comfortable in the end, but I think it was just one of those games where you take the foot off the gas and they're good enough to make you pay. We were only up two at halftime or something and we turned it back on and blew them out. We had Papi with 21, Asier with 25, Gemma with 20, me with 10. Um, five and five for Manu and Cheeky. And yeah, that was about it. They, yeah, I think I... I, we're both like his fans here. I think for whatever, I think we're just basketball hipsters. But um, <laughs> I like, I like, I like teams that are well coached by ex players. Um, I think it's good to see that it's not just random guys brought in to coach the wheelchair game when they haven't done that well in the able bodied game. It's nice to see, and it's nice when that happens, and you can actually tell that they're decently coached as well, rather than just a guy. But yeah, I've always, I've always felt like they were pretty well put together. All of your campaigning for ex-players to get the jobs is really just self-serving for you to get a job when you retire from playing, but we'll we'll look past that. Well, yeah, 100%. Uh, and also any other wheelchair basketball player who stops playing but knows way more than any random, like... And that's not to say there's a lot of good, able-bodied wheelchair basketball coaches, but there are also a lot of just guys on the sideline. You know what I mean? Like, I don't... That's true. Um, there's a lot of ex running game coach comes over to fry their hand at our sport when I just think there's a wealth of knowledge that gets lost from lack of opportunity. Um, but yeah, also mostly I probably just want a job when I stop playing. There's <laughs> that. Um, yeah, I thought interesting thing for you guys is to say the game was essentially tied at halftime. You ended up with five starters well into the 20s and above on plus minus, and then two more guys off the bench who were in the kind of mid-teens, which is a little bit weird for a, a game that you only really won the final 20 minutes of in conclusive fashion. Yeah, although um, I did say this as a joke at one point at halftime when it was tied, someone was like, God, we always do this. And I was like, hey, I'm like plus 15 in eight minutes. I'm fine. No, uh, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean it, but I think it was more like, there's no real structural thing that's stopping this happening. I think we've just stopped pushing a little bit. We got a little stupid, a little scrappy, but yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I got, like if you looked at all the plus minuses, you'd be like, did we win by 45 or? Yeah, just pass the minutes around. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. You guys came out and pressed them a little bit early doors and like and there's a lot of things, but they're so slow that they make you guys look like goddamn Santa Stefano when you got the rebound and were out and running. But um yeah, Asier with twenty-five points, thirteen rebounds, fifteen assists, typical day at the of office. Course. Um <laughs> there was one point I, mid-game where he was having obviously the game that you've just described, and he also, while pushing up the court, told the table that they'd put two points on the wrong side of the scoreboard, and I was like, This guy's doing everything over here i love it i was gonna say like 25 a 25 point triple double and also being like by the way table that's gone the wrong way he's <laughs> hilarious because unless we're like three minutes to go tied game i really don't care about the score that much no i'm with you um yeah and from the leg on his side they got 18 from cano who's just back i did see him back and be like why on earth has he come back for the final game of the season bearing in mind he's missed like six weeks at this point then i remembered Leganes are doing copa del rey this year because they finished in the top eight yeah so he's but also like they're back. playing at union yeah um and i think it's 
this is obviously some level of confirmation that Cano plans on being back next season, I would imagine. Um, because I think if you I think he's been from what I've seen, he's been back in Puerto Rico for however long it's been. And I don't imagine you're bothering to get on your your flight back to Spain for a couple of weeks if you don't have some kind of intended future commitment to the team. Um, I have no idea. That's just project, projection, but I also would like to see Cano back with Leganes because I think they took a real step forward this year and they noticeably missed him when he wasn't around. Yeah. I mean, he had 47 in a game this year. Like, I want him to be there. That's, that's great. <laughs> Not many people have 47 in a game. Um <laughs> We threw out before hitting record today. We threw out the idea of are we going to do like some all NBA style teams and pick like fifteen guys or whatever. I think Cano might make it in just on the strength of that game. <laughs> so, yeah, like, but we could just have like a we could have like a like a James All Stars of just guys that I'm like, yeah, I just like him. He had forty seven <laughs> that time. He had forty seven in a loss, and then like, <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah, that's what my team would be like the the Zach Lowe all-stars or the what has he got the um, oh god what does he call them the luke walton all-stars luke walton all-stars yeah of just like guys that i like for whatever weird reason (laughs) right up next speaking of guys that we like yeah speaking of guys that we like because they have 28 points on 27 shots basti kolb and amfiv 86 madiba 78 so I was watching this and I was like, when do the 28 points come? And then he had eight in a row in overtime. <laughs> yeah. The, At one point, overtime was Basti eight, Madiba two. Yeah. This was this was my favorite game I watched the entire weekend, which says something considering we saw Thuringen Landil game one over in Germany. Um, um but yeah, this was I mean, we're kind of brushing past the fact that um Agustin Alejos had 26 points, 16 rebounds, and 17 assists, but we'll get to that. Yeah, he's, uh, he's he's great all the time. I'm not saying that Basti isn't, but I mean, like, Alejo's probably averages 20, 10, and 10-ish. 20, 10, and 5, maybe. I don't know. Him and Asia should have a triple-double off. Um, I, imagine, but yeah. I imagine if you go to, like, Spanish camps a couple of years ago when it was, like, Asia on one five and Alejo's on another five, I would have loved to watch that, but... <laughs> I guess that's us against Vigo. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, we saw the Madiba clawed it back to put it into overtime. Um, shout out to Salvador Sandoval, who had 37 points and did most of the damage down that stretch. But Ridiculous. Yeah. Um just inbounded it, didn't run a play or anything, just Alejos threw it in to Basti, who just kind of turned, took one gentle dribble into a three, swished it. Uh, I think Madiba ran a layup in on the other end and then let him roll down and take the exact same shot. Like again, no pressure. I was like, okay, so he's just like, he only took two threes the entire game, but they were those two and he made both of them. And then he was obviously feeling himself on the next possession. And he just dribbled down and posted up. Um, Madiba's low. <laughs> I was like, this is the greatest game I've ever witnessed by anybody. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, I love that little hop he has in his jump shot. Yeah, <laughs> like leg extension gets that extra yeah. lift there, but um, don't say that you're gonna get him in trouble for. Lifting. I don't think he's but, lifting. Um, I don't think he's lifting. I think he's just slightly pushing yeah. through his legs, like everyone who can does. Probably, yeah. Well, he's playing as one five. He shouldn't be pushing <laughs> pushing through his legs. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, Vigo saved their best to last this season, and they had three guys above 20, with Bassi with 28, uh, Agostin with 26, and Julio Villas with 22. They only shot 46%, which seems a little low if you actually go back and watch the game. Uh, Agostin didn't have his most efficient game. He was only 8 from 20, but I think given his other stats, you'll forgive some of that low end um, of the efficiency kind of thing. And then, yeah, um, Salvador Sandoval, as we said, with 37, and John Hernandez with 22. And Madiba really looked like they were going to steal this on a couple of occasions leading up to the overtime period, and then it was kind of all Vigo in overtime. I don't yeah. know if this is almost like a battle of who's who's got the least depth that they're willing to play, whether the game is close or not. But um Vigo, actually, it's not often they get to come out on the high side of the depth battle, but they certainly seem to in this game. Yeah, for sure. Now, that's, uh, I don't know. That happens so often, though, doesn't it? Like, a game is so, so even that it can get to 71 all over 40 minutes, and then in a five-minute period, you just get doubled up. I think the momentum's with you at that point, but I would have... I don't know. I was I, I was quite impressed. Um, Gozibi making both free throws to bring the game to overtime. I respect, yeah. but I I would have thought at that point. I wonder if I wonder if Madiba had the momentum. Especially you got a guy who's got thirty seven. Like if you have a five minute period and you have the guy that's going, that yeah. would have kind of tilted it in one way or the other. But then th- this game, I was just looking for. I was like, when did it? Oh yeah, Basti had. Eight points in <laughs> one minute of a five-minute overtime, like um, that'll do it, it for you. It's a it's an overly simplistic thing to try and evaluate a game on, but I would love to know what the winning percentage is. of games that go into overtime. I'd love to know what the winning percentage is of teams who get like six straight points to open. I know it was eight two, but let's call it six straight for the sake of simplicity. What do you think the winning percentage is for the team that scores the first five or six points of an overtime game? Because it's just seventy percent, probably. Because like so... overtime wheelchair basketball overtimes don't really go to like that was fifteen seven and fifteen is quite high. I would have thought. Yeah, well, fifteen is is not doesn't look un, unreasonable compared to Vigo had eighteen seventeen eighteen eighteen in their ten minute quarters. Yeah, there you go. Basti had eight points in the first minute of the overs. <laughs> they had seven points in the four minutes after that. Yeah. So, no, but I literally like I, making a three in an overtime period tilts it sometimes. Like, and he made two of them. Yeah. No. That's so, entirely. like, he could have taken that third shot that he took where he just rolled down into a post up. He could have taken like a he could have taken a hook shot with his bad hand, not looking at the basket. Now would be like, yeah, okay, that's good luck. <laughs> Like that's six points on three shooting possessions. There you go. That's two, two, yeah. and two. Yeah. <laughs> he bought himself a bad one, but then he took a reasonable <laughs> one and made it anyway. I love that. Imagine yeah. thinking um, of it like that. Imagine making enough shots that you were like, "I'm allowed to take a stupid one now because it won't look too bad." I th- think that was there's probably stuff like that. I think you watch. That's like, a heat check in theory, but I don't mean like a, I'm going to shoot this from deep. I mean like a, I'm going to go lefty with my eyes closed because no one cares. Can I get? Um yeah, I mean in the in the meantime, we've seen this a couple of times with Madiba, but chalk this up as another game in which they lost a close one despite having a significant advantage in free throw attempts. And when I say significant, Vigo were ten of eleven on Oof. free throws. 
in a game they won by eight points in overtime. Vega and Madiba were twelve from twenty six. Like, and and theoretically, like, I know that's a difference of you know four. 15 attempts or whatever, but in theory, Madiba sink one more of those during regulation and the game's over. I know it doesn't work like that because it, you know, the flow of the game takes it into account, but that's a lot of points left there. And yeah, yeah man, 59 points from um, John Hernandez and Salvador Sandoval. And you think that would get it done against Vigo because it's not often. I mean, you would typically see a Vigo score and see Alejos had 26. You'd be like, yeah, maybe they squeaked a couple of other guys into double figures, but it's not often two more guys that, from Vigo combined for 50 points. Yeah. And yeah, shout out to Vigo, man. I thought this was an impressive game from them against quite a tough stylistic matchup. And we complimented Driss Said a minute ago for a, a bit of a window shopping game. And shout out to Basti Kolb. <laughs> <laughs> on that exact front. And I also, think... once again, 28 on 27 shots. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love, 11, I love how I'm such a big fan of launching at that level when I take three shots a game. That's hilarious. <laughs> but You're living vicariously through these guys. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, I wish I could do that. <laughs> I mean, physically, and also I wish I'd let myself do that. Um, no, I don't. That wouldn't help teams win. All right. Talking about teams winning, I guess. Might help Pardon? Said it might help the opposing team win. Yeah, that's true. Someone has to win. Um, via the lead, 61, Malaga, 54. So no Kyle Marsh in this for Malaga, which obviously makes a big difference at this point. They're missing yet another player. And that's, you're taking away a lot of perimeter scoring and handling. I think the games that we've seen Malaga punch up, which I would say this is, um, it's been because. Esparza and Kyle have both had 20-odd. Um, you're asking a lot from Esparza on his own, if not. and Yeah, you're asking yeah. you're asking a lot from him, and the knock-on is that you, Kyle's absence generally pushes Christoph Kozarinho more to the perimeter, who's really their only inside threat. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of Esparza and Kozarinho trying to run the offense from the wings. Which is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. They're both accomplished shooters, and Kozarinja as a mismatch shooter is, in particular, pretty effective. But your role threats to the basket at that point are Jesus Romero and Leo Pekka, who neither of whom are massively quali- qualified to go inside against Yelma. Um, who, not many. If, That's kind of a small list of guards who are, but yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I thought Vidalid played. Pretty good defense generally. Uh, I thought they were pretty smart in limiting the main source of creation for Malaga. They held Esparza to 19 on 19 shots and Kozarinha to 10 on 17 shots. Um, And this was another game where we saw them make the switch to go small. And CJ Grogan just had one of those games where he comes in and it's like somebody's let loose a pit bull that hasn't eaten for several days and they're like hey go out and see what you can find and he just comes in and he just wrecks the joint man he had 14 points and he was they were plus five in his minutes um in a game that they won by seven points so it's pretty close overall yeah but yeah i think being able to hold as far as their sort of main perimeter score as you say 19 on 19 shots but also seven turnovers and six 
assists. Like, if you're asking him to facilitate everything or most things, you've got Abde, obviously, who's able to spray the ball around and is an all-timer and knows what he's doing, but is a one. Um, yeah, Abde only getting five shots, I think, is a symptom of Kyle not being there because they yeah. only they only ever get the ball to Abdi really on like the second phase of the offense once the defense is rotating. And yeah, especially with how happy Vidalid were to push Romo and CJ out to meet Esparza and make him dribble. Mm-hmm. It make it makes Abdi as a release valve a lot tougher to hit, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um I do think Malaga came back into it for a while when they just released um uh Leo Pekka. On fast breaks, once again, he went seven from nine. I feel like he's averaged 15 a game for the last month. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, I think that's about right because they've just yeah. realized that the fact, like, someone who's actually the fastest guy in the world in a wheelchair at his classification going to the basket might be hard to catch up with. So he ends up with a load of breakaways. Obviously, seven from nine, like, massively efficient when you're just yeah. sending someone one on zero to the basket. And then in what I thought was slightly weird until I kind of squared it away in my head. Vitaly took the game away by pressing with a couple of minutes to go, and I was a bit like, so someone's killing you because they're super quick and they're getting in behind you, so you press, but then I realized that's kind of a, we don't think you have as many ball handlers as you need to get out of this press. I think that was the sort of thinking behind it, but I don't know. That was yeah, interesting. I think, I think it was, and I think... When a team like Malaga feels like they've got the kind of press-breaking cheat code in a guy like Leo Pekka, I think you're tempting them to try and throw that pass consistently and put it on the money, which that pass, like we, we talk about like Ramane with this kind of thing where so many Gran Canaria sequences are like Salazar rebound, immediate outlet to Ramane, who's five feet ahead of the nearest defender. That generally doesn't work the same as the when it's like a made basket and a press break because you've yeah. got to like get the ball inbounds, at which point, you know, you've cut away Pekka's momentum as he's gone into the front court and they're then trying to make that pass over a defender who's in position to like either deny his chair or sit between him and the ball. And it's, yeah, I think and then... tempt them into making that pass because they feel like he can burn anybody, which he can, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can put the pass in that very small window it needs to be. Yeah, and then if if he has to come short for it, then you're kind of happy enough where the ball is, whose hands they're in, and what side of the basket you're on. Um, but yeah, no, that was just a very interesting for me more than anything else. I was like, why are they? Oh yeah, makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, Not a also, CJ, CJ, and Romo are like maybe the most deceptively quick four pointers in, like, in the whole league. It's just. CJ especially, like, you see guys race him and he just, like, gets two pushes and it's like, oh, yeah, he's as fast as anybody outside of maybe, like, Lee Fryer in the four-point category. Yeah, for sure. Okay, shall we shift overseas? Uh, Well, I don't think you have to go over the sea to get from Spain to Germany, but you certainly have to from England. So, yeah, Turingen 81, Landil 53. And wow, I did not think it was going to look like this. I might have had Durangan to win it, but not just the way the teams were kind of. I could, I felt like Durangan were on the way up near the end of the season, but oh boy, uh, this was 
this was comprehensive from the beginning. I was out with um, a, a big group, a couple of which were some of the guys from the team um, from Bilbao, and we were watching this, and very quickly we were like, nah, man, <laughs> yeah. that's not. And it was weird because it was first quarter was 27-9, which is obviously, I'll use the word comprehensive again, and then there were large parts of the game where Landil played them close-ish, but they were never they were never never able to have a period of dominance to actually equal it up. Like they went from blowout to even to blowout again. Like there was no I don't know, Landale never really chipped away. Um didn't really ever look like doing it. Yeah, that that was my turn. And I so this game tipped at three o'clock UK time on Sunday, I think. Um Right as I was getting ready, ready to bundle the little one into the car and we were setting off somewhere, so I was like, right, get her in the car. We'll be laughing. I'll get the game up. and I'll miss like the first couple of minutes and then it'll be fine after that. And by the time at five past three, when I'd gotten into the game, it was 12-2 during it. I was like, <laughs> okay, I've missed this. Um, yeah, man, this was... My takeaway from this is I think... Landil just looked. Obviously, we talked last week about Gaz Chow, and they just look a little bit thin. Not something you ever thought you would say. Um, but their guys off the bench are like Simon and Yannick, who fit into that lineup. Then they then have Rose for the pressing lineup, and they've got Payman, Mizan, and Matt Bicet, who have obviously been there for a number of years each, but routinely don't play in any of the important games. Yeah. And yeah, they just looked, I think when it became obvious their first lineup wasn't going to cut it against Bulls in those opening minutes, it wasn't like there was a massive wealth of options into what they could go to next. Yeah, and... it seemed really weird. Like they went to the lineup that they've run a lot this year, which was four, five, four, three, two, one. They had to run that a point under now, obviously. Um, and that being their second or third option is not ideal when you're playing a team that's as physical and as big and as strong and is playing over points obviously as well um so you go to your four biggish um with a female one on the floor to try and match up with them doing the same and it just doesn't work um that's yeah that's probably alarm bells but i just there was yeah. a point that i was watching it that i was every time landale came down the floor like obviously they've got a wealth of talent and they've got scorers all over the place but there were times where they would run Tommy Boma um, Matthias Guntner pick and rolls and Turing would just be like already in help like yeah. they'd have just helped from the floor from the four already and they were just super willing and happy to be like alright cool we're not giving up any of A and we will give up as much of B as you want to yeah. take. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, the exact opposite, where in comparison to Landil picking rolling, creating an advantage, and then there's still not really being a window to score off that. The opposite I felt was true for Turngen. Like they were kind of getting down the floor and oh, someone's cut to the basket. Like they have a layup or they have a post up or but without really running anything. Like it was yeah. Running stuff and not getting anything versus not even bothering to run stuff and still getting what they wanted. Yeah. At um, times, anyway. When it was going really bad, I mean, there were large periods where Landale played them kind of even, but... Yeah, I 
I felt like Landil were able to kind of put out one fire at a time. Um, I think Halewski got going early and they allocated enough resource to try and slow him down and then Vahid gets 20 in the like I think Vahid had six at half time and had 14 in the second half. Yeah. Um, big Vahid game. Yeah. And I think with throwing one of the differences whenever they've played Landil has been Joachim Linden is like Landil is like showing a red rag to a bull on that front, pun not intended because throwing a bulls. But um <laughs> but yeah. He didn't have a great game by his standards, although he had one truly nasty finish where Rio fouled him and he spun and put it in anyway. But um, yeah, it felt like Bulls were able to kind of toggle their couplings of role players around the bigs and just be able to get somebody who had it going at any given point. Uh, Jordi obviously came off the bench, had 13. Ari had five points, um, but was plus 21 in 15 minutes. Yeah, and, that lineup got it got it done. Yeah, and Jens with ten as well. And Jens was I actually thought a little bit of a skeleton key when they were trying to shut Halewski down because they had uh Katarina Weiss guarding Jens on the block a couple of times and it was just like run like you say, run no offense, Jens cuts inside layup. And <laughs> it's like okay, if it, if their like fourth offensive option is just gonna take the mismatch and put a layup in, then there's not a whole lot of defensive scheming to be done here. Yeah, yeah, early on he hit a couple of post ups over Marie Kier as well, and I was like, "Oh man, if that's going and that's something they're happy to give him, both teams, I mean, then yeah. this could get bad." And it did. <laughs> it did. Um, in the meantime, shout out to Yitzka who made her season debut in game one of the finals. Uh, <laughs> legend, I respect it. Plus five in two minutes, as it as if Bulls didn't have enough going for them in this matchup anyway. By the looks of things, but um. Yeah, I just thought it kind of struck me watching it, man. You remember last year we watched this series unfold in the finals and Rio Fujimoto was obviously the difference for Landil. And he, having been happy to kind of fit in and around all season, he saw this matchup and was like, okay, I'm like, I'm going to shoot as many times as I can get away with and I'm going to make them here. And he had eight points in 25 minutes. Gunther with 10 in 31 minutes and it's like, man, if the two bigs aren't bringing it for Landil and at least matching what Haluski and Vahid put out there, then this spells trouble, I think, because they're obviously down a lineup option, at least without Gaz in place to um, run that three big, which they had become very reliant on for stretches of the season and never more so than against this team in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So can you see a third game in this? Uh, can you see Landil going to Thuringen on Saturday and winning on Saturday and provoking a, a winner takes all on Sunday? Um, I think the only path I can see to it is Landil would have to do what they've done in a couple of their close games this year, where they've kind of abandoned their egalitarian offense and they've just been happy for Tommy and Rio to take kind of 70% of their shot attempts between them but those guys were 11 from 33 combined in this game so they were, would obviously need to shoot better but I think you've seen a couple of occasions where like push comes to shove with this team and they're like okay we normally run all this cool ball movement stuff we might just need to get the ball in the hands of our most reliable guys but mm. 
even going so back good, to like, you know, I'm so good at getting the ball back out of their reliable guys' hands. It just doesn't fill me with optimism for Lando Land because even going back to their previous playoff series before this one where they played Hamburg, they only scraped above 60 on like both games. I think it was 63 and 66 they had maybe. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you look at a couple of their losses this year, like when they played a Looney on, they only had like 56, I think. And yep. I've seen very little from that. I Their only real hope is to defend Thuringen out of getting into the 70s and 80s, I think, because I think we've got enough evidence now to say Landil probably can't put up more than 60-something against strong competition. I know there's a um, world in which Tommy and or Rio go nuts, but I think... The fact that you go and if one of these guys goes completely berserk, you might be in with a shout. Is in yeah. like that's, you know, that's not something you can write on a whiteboard. You know what I mean? Like that's not a blueprint. But yeah, there's I don't know enough talent going around and a good enough team that have won enough games that I wouldn't be blown away. But I think if you blow someone out by twenty eight, you probably. <laughs> You probably deserve to be considered the favourite for the next game. I think that's a, that's only fair, I would say. Yes. Right, should we do should we do the belt and then we'll get out of here? All right. So before we started recording this, you messaged me and said that you couldn't wait to just tell me who was getting the belt. And then you backed off slightly into saying that you might give me two options. So first of all, have you decided whether you're going to give me a choice or not? I was going to ask you if you wanted the choice or if you wanted me to rid all democracy from belt selections and go authoritarian about it um probably agree with my pick anyways (laughs) tell me tell me both the options and then you just give me your pick i wanted i want to know who you thought was second okay options are front runner is basti kolb sure second option we touched on it at the start of the podcast is somebody something or all of burgos um that's hilarious. Um, also, just any time that there's a finals game on and we pick the belt for anyone who isn't like playing for Turingen, but also well, they just they just beat them by committee as well, didn't yeah. they? Well, they, they um, did, and also I feel like regardless of stakes in a game or final series or whatever, I think one guy having eight straight points in overtime is infinitely cooler than anything that could happen in a twenty-eight point blowout, even if the game's more important. Yes, and also crucially, I've told people like because I get abuse for that—not real abuse, but like <laughs> teammates and stuff. For like, hey, you giving this guy the belt because he had thirty in a in a an important game, and I'm like, yeah, it's not an MVP. It's a we think this is fun award. But yeah, I'm team Basti on this cool. just for a laugh. That's it. I mean, he, he's had a hell of a week, man. First German national team selection, and then twenty-eight point game, and. An official, hey, come and sign me up statement to end the season. Yeah, congrats, Basti. Um, 28 points on 27 shots. I love it. Um, yeah, cool. There we go. There's the belt. And coming up this week, Copa del Rey and the German yep. final games. Yep, let's do it. It's going to be a big one. So stick Ooh, around. Boy. Everything's going to be on our sub stack if you want to keep up with things. So keep an eye out for that. And if you don't subscribe to our sub stack already, go and do so because then you'll get a load of emails and a load of other jargon telling you when and where to watch stuff. And I don't do that for no reason. Yeah. And I don't do that. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye.